0: All right, hey everyone. Sorry, it's been a little slacking in the last uh, week, so make up for it. This one will be a little longer. So this past weekend, I was able to listen to four fascinating talks from uh, Google Talks or Talks at Google, which is a YouTube channel where they record speaker sessions they have at Google and bring it up to us for free to the public. And they also have a podcast for that they just started where it's just an audio recording so of, of the talk so you can you know listen to it on the way to work or when you're running so for of them in- I, I watch or listen to and it was fascinating I wanted to share so, the first one was by Michael Pollan he wrote Omnivore's Board uh, Dilemma and in this uh hour talk he talks about what they what I think was called cooked which is um Later adapted to be a Netflix series on you know the four ways of cooking, and the four ways of cooking is f- using fire, water, air, and earth, food. and he argues each of the technology is very important and crucial to civilization and also our our culture. Uh, for example, fire was um, really important to us because before they discover how to use fire to cook food, but have been eating just like veggies and, and the raw meat. And those, that, that way of eating is, is really inefficient because you spend a lot of time chewing. You know, you look at like apes. They, I think according to him, Michael was saying they spend on average six hours to chew. Now that's crazy because you only maybe have like 18, 17 hours of, of daytime if you factor in the sleep time. So with the invention of fire, we're able to break down the meat a little more and allows us to absorb that nutrient a lot easier. Because what really differentiates human from other animals is the the size of our brain, right where all the thinking comes from. The knowledge can hold the memory. It's just like a motherboard of our human body. And by weight, the human brain is about 2% of our body weight, yet it consumes 20% of our energy. So it takes a lot of power to uh, to feel this thing. So by, you know, by inventing uh, fire, we're able to absorb that energy or find those energy a lot easier than before. Uh, so that's fire. The second thing is, oh, you're also talking about how fire really starts. Like, it, it becomes like a, sh- a communal activity because... You know, you need someone to man a fire to start a fire, whereas before, you just catch rot like rot an animal and just go at it and, and eat it. So more of like a shared community thing. The second technology he, he talks about was water. So we now have fire. The problem is if you think, if you look at it, it's still quite a little bit inefficient because when you're grilling something over fire, you see that the the fat, the juice drips onto the fire. So you're still losing a little bit of nutrient there. But by cooking things over water, well first off you to invent the clay pot, some kind of container to, to cook it with. Um, but once you're able to do that, uh, you can retain all that fat and nutrient. So slightly more efficient, but what's more important is, since we now cook food in the pot, uh, you can now have like these things called sauces. Right, because you can now capture whatever gets stripped from the fire, and he was saying how sauces is what really uh, defines different culture. Because if you look at the same, uh, like like let's say the pig over fire, you can't really tell if it's been grilling in China or Europe or like I don't know India or, or America. But it really, is the sauces that makes a difference. Um, so that's I thought that was a pretty interesting observation the third technology he talks about is air, and air is what makes bread if you look at bread, it's little tiny air pockets and I think he, he quoted some like, I don't know, food science or something but he was saying how if I give you uh, flour and water you can probably maybe like survive for a month, but if you give the same amount of bread you can survive forever well I didn't know this, but if you... Um, I think bread is actually really nutritious, it actually has protein, and because of the, the, the process of baking, um, it just makes it so much more nutritious uh, food item than just flour and, and water. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. The fourth technology talks about fermentation, which is earth. And earth fermentation is the last thing that, well, you don't really need anything to you don't really need energy to do it because it just does it automatically by nature and I think the most interesting point he talks about is how fermentation really is what defines culture Uh, because if you look at different fermented food like sauerkraut, cheese, stinky tofu, kimchi, these are all very strong uh, flavor food and it it is definitely an acquired taste because a lot of Chinese people, they, they like stinky tofu or like these fermented tofu products, but they probably don't like cheese, right? And Europeans love cheese, but might not love kimchi. So it definitely is an acquired taste, and it really defines the culture um, as like, you know, like, oh, like we all eat like kimchi and we're, we're Korean. Yeah, it's, so I thought it was an interesting point so that was the first talk uh, really love it I think the Netflix series is a little better because it has uh, the, the picture and video and actually interview with the, the actual people that they, they talk about in the books too or in the talks because The second talk I uh, I saw was completely different. It was by this guy called Kyle S- uh, Simpson or Kyle jo- Kyle Johnson and he he's a British philosopher from King's College and his uh, his talk was about arguing how uh, Inception should have won best picture and he's just very very angry that Inception didn't win because it lost to uh, King's Speech by the way which is also a great movie but you can tell like in the video he's just very angry uh, very (laughs) enthusiastic and uh, trying to argue that you know it should have won because he thinks that the Oscar panel missed the point of the movie. There's so many subtleties, so many smart editing, and, and uh, Christopher Nolan is just a talented producer and director, and it's way smarter than you think, and he argues, you know, like actually the whole movie is a dream, and it's just like, he just keep bringing on these examples after examples of why it is. Uh, one example was, you know, this six-digit number which just kept showing up throughout the whole movie. Uh, it was like on a taxi in the street. It was on the train that it ran through the streets. It was the combination of the safe. It was in the hotel room. Like, so his argument was uh, that the main character's subconscious is working its way through, through like, the whole movie, which is like a whole dream. It's like a 40-minute talk, but I guarantee you, if you watch it, like you will not be bored because you'll be fascinated just by how smart the movie was was directed. The third talk I listened to, uh, this one was when I went out run. So I listened to it in the podcast format, but it's the same thing. The the third one was about uh, friend Abagnale, which is the. So there's a construction going on here. So that one was, uh, he was the depicted person in the movie Catch Me If You Can, Uh, and he's just a very smart but humble and genuine person. So I would say the talk is better than the the movie itself. So the first part of the talk, he talks about how like his life story. And you know, a lot of things that movie didn't talk about, like his family, like how he ran away when he was 16 um, because his parents were getting divorced, and that prompted him to you know go to New York. And because he had no money, he had to like start faking the ID to be 18 to get paid a little more. But then it still wasn't enough to sustain him, so he had to like figure out ways to make more money. And what what he observed was these airline pilots can just write these personal checks and get and they will credit it at like hotels and airlines and you can actually get cash from the airline counter so then you know he was just saying like his intention wasn't bad because it was all by chance but he still he still you know, definitely feels like it's a legal thing to do he was in in jail for a little bit but Like, I think early on, the FBI reached out to him and was like, hey, you know, if you come work for us, you can be out of jail. Obviously, he just saw it as an opportunity to get out of jail and he took up on the offer. But then, even though after the conditions is over that he can, you know, return to normal life, he still chose to stay there for an extra, you know, until now it's probably, like, another three decades. And, you know, just doing cybersecurity and he's an expert in the field. So really fascinating life story he's a funny uh, talker too but I think what's even more interesting was in the Q&A, Q&A session where the, the Googlers asked him a variety of questions and some talked about like finances and size security and I wanted to, to talk about like some of those so what got me really pissed was when he was mentioning Equifax which you know we know like over a hundred million like personal information was stolen and he was just saying, like, this is definitely an underestimation. And he thinks that almost like 300 million pieces of information were stolen. And Equifax is not going to say that, obviously. Um, and because he was saying, stealing personal information like social security number, date of birth, and name is very different from having your credit card stolen. Because you can just change your credit card number, but you cannot change your piece of information, your personal information. So we won't actually be seeing this information being used in the first couple years because the hacker just stole it somewhere, like they, they don't care to use it soon because it just, they know that it won't change. So we haven't seen like definitely any of the impact yet. And what Equifax is trying to do is, they now have the scandal, right? Like not only did they sell stocks before, the information that was released to the public, but also trying to make money by offering these stupid credit check, or not credit check, well credit monitoring, but also um, freezing credit score, I myself did it, I spent 10 bucks to freeze my credit score, but then two weeks later, I was trying to uh, open a new credit card, so I have to freaking unfreeze it, it's another $10, and I was like, I already spent $20 on this on the first two weeks, it's just so dumb, and you know, even the Equifax later uh, offered a free, a free freezing of your credit score, or free monitoring, one of the services. But uh, Frank was arguing that this is actually a really smart tactic because they know for the first year nothing's going to happen, so offer for free, and then at the end of the year we'll say like, oh, like we're very su- like we're very sorry we caused innocent incidents. Like we're glad you purchased this, this protection, but we haven't seen yet any information that was, was misused, so we should keep buying this product to make sure it we'll won't get tampered in the next couple of years, and obviously everyone's going to start paying again, which is ridiculous, right, because they were the one that caused it, now we're paying the price for the next couple of years, and he is arguing um, in the hearing that every state should provide free credit monitoring and free uh, credit freezing. to everyone. So he's just like a very nice guy, I think. And the second thing he he brought out was basically the dumbest decision you can ever make financially is to own and use a debit card. Which I I totally agree, I never use my debit card because debit card comes out of your real uh, checking account. Once the money is gone, it's gone. The thing with credit card is you're not spending your own money, at least not yet. It will be in 30 days. So any money, any uh, illegal use of it, you can just say like, "Oh, it's not you. It's not you. Some like people stole your credit card, and you get your uh, money back immediately because that's required by law." So never use a debit card. Uh, always spend someone else's money, especially for your kids too. Because the only way to get credit is to use your credit. It's kind of weird how the credit system work because for a lot of people, like they might not need debt, so they don't use it. But by not leveraging their the debt available, they're not building up the credit. So it's a weird system. There's a lot of, uh, I think, Planet Money talks about it. Uh, so there's a couple episodes there. You can check it out. But I thought that was a really insightful advice by you know this person that you've only seen on Catch Me If You Can. The last talk, really quickly, was also by Michael Pollan. Uh, so after he writes about food, he starts writing about like other natural substances, and he starts uh, exploring psychedelics. Um, specifically, I was to look into the the agent called psilocybin which produces the psychedelic effects and I myself only tried, you know, shrooms. Uh, I have no, at least now, like no desire to try anything else. I know ayahuasca is pretty popular. I have a couple friends that did it. It was definitely some extreme experience. Uh, I think for most people, they use it to find their fear and fight depression and, and, yeah, and Michael did, did talk about a little bit about that, which I think it might work. Um, you know, he just joked about how... You know, Steve Jobs even admitted, I think, because it was uh, LSD mushrooms that enabled him to invent the Apple computer. And why Windows is bad is because, you know, Gates never tried it. But it's just something that... get <clears throat> it more popular. Obviously, it might be dangerous if you don't do it right, don't find the right guide. But... Um, yeah, there's like a lot of research now that goes into how it can really change our, our life and how our mind works. They're saying how psychedelics, when you're on it, is really your, your brain uh, neural network is really similar to like expert meditator. So it's the same effect, I think, but psychedelics can help you achieve that state a little easier, whereas your meditation comes with practice. Uh, and have been trying to meditate for the last couple of years trying to get back into it again just making sure it, for me it's I don't know, for me it's like I don't think I have that much stress so I don't think I, I need it but I think it's always good practice to, to, to build out a, a, a habit uh, you know, every day by a little bit so yeah, those are the four, four talks I listened to over the weekend very good stuff on talks at Google definitely listen more and watch more of those talks in the future and we'll share with uh, all of you. (laughs)